When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. In the coming weeks, American Cinema Editors, the Art Directors Guild, and Visual Effects Society are among the organizations that will be handing out their annual awards. The Visual Effects Society's feature competition is led by Avengers Infinity War with six nominations, followed by Ready Player One with five. The Art Directors Guild has three live-action feature categories, period, fantasy, and contemporary. Spread out among those categories are nominees including Black Panther, The Favorite, First Man, Mary Poppins Returns, and Roma. Meanwhile, American Cinema Editors, which hands out its annual Eddie Awards on February 1st, has two live-action narrative feature categories, one for drama and one for comedy. The nominees in the dramatic feature competition are Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, Roma, A Star is Born, as well as First Man, edited by Tom Cross, our guest on today's podcast. I'm Carolyn Giardina. Welcome to Behind the Screen. Cross has cut all of Damien Chazelle's movies. He won an Oscar for their collaboration on Whiplash, and Eddie for La La Land, and most recently he edited First Man, which follows the personal story of astronaut Neil Armstrong, who commanded the Apollo 11 mission and on July 20th, 1969, became the first man to set foot on the moon. This year also marks the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11, which became one of the most significant events of the 20th century. So, Tom, welcome, and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. First question really is, did the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11 have special significance to you while you were making the movie? Yeah, it definitely did. I mean, we were eager to kind of celebrate the anniversary, and our hope was that we could kind of get the story right, get all the details right, because we knew there would be an audience. We knew there would be a lot of NASA experts and fans and NASA buffs wanting to wanting to celebrate. So I think out of all the movies I've worked on with Damien, this was one where we felt the most responsibility in a way to get all those details right, get the get the family story right too. It was amazing, but also kind of a, it, it was another thing in, in a way I didn't expect, just having another element, another kind of storytelling element that we had to kind of pay attention to and get right. I mean, you know, Whiplash and La La Land were completely fabricated by Damien. You know, that all just came from his mind. So he just had to just check with himself in a way. But this one, we really had to work closely with Josh Singer, the screenwriter, who in turn had to work closely with technical experts uh, like Frank Hughes from NASA, but also Rick and Mark Armstrong, you know, the, the sons of Neil and Janet, just to make sure that we got all those stories right. Well, I know NASA worked closely with with a lot of you, from yeah. production design to visual effects to sound. What was your involvement like? I didn't have any direct involvement except when 
we reached a certain point with the edit and we had people come in. We had NASA experts come in to watch the film and give us feedback. And in a way, we were already pretty close with a lot of technical details and family details because we had people consulting on the script at the script phase and also on set. You know, so we knew we would have people come in during the editing process. We just didn't have them come in right away because Damien and I really wanted to get the story right. We wanted to get the movie in shape first, story-wise. But then once we did that, we brought in a lot of people. Uh, Frank Hughes came in. Mike Collins, the third uh, Apollo 11 astronaut, came in. And also I know other people were consulted by Josh Singer. Joe Engel, who is the last, I believe, the last living pilot to have flown the X-15, which is featured in the beginning of First Man. Uh, He was consulted a lot for technical details. But yeah, Frank Frank Hughes, I remember he came in and he told us a lot of great stories about about the astronauts. Everything from, you know, testing like the zero-gravity toilets to other crazy stories. I mean, he had so many crazy stories. Lovely person. You know, he realized, I think, it was clear that he had he and a lot of other people had experienced amazing things that other people don't experience you know but at the same time he really had a great sense of humor about it all and he's the one who had pointed out this crazy this funny mistake that we made when i was editing the movie i mean for the most part again a lot of the stuff by the time it came to editing you know, we were able to get a lot of technical things right, but there was a scene during the Gemini 8 spin when the Gemini 8 capsule goes out of control where Neil has to blow the RCS squibs in order to shoot out this propellant to stop the craft from spinning. Neil, we're in a bank. Shut up the Agena's control systems. Code 400, Agena control system shut down. kind of put it together, we had uh, Ryan Gosling grabbing this stick and, you know, hitting the firing button and so he could blow these RCS squibs. And Frank Hughes looked at the cut and said, okay, well, that, all of this is, this feels accurate. You know, this is the way these guys would experience it. The sound that you guys have is accurate. The only thing is, is when he's pressing this button to fire the squibs that he's actually pressing the talk button. (laughs) So... You know, Damon and I were just like, oh, God, great. You know, (laughs) these are the details that we have to, like, look out for, you know. And if we were left our own devices, I can't even imagine how many more details we would screw up. You know, I mean, that's the thing that's different from this movie than Damien's other movies. We were not able to cheat certain things, you know. Like, normally you could cheat, you know, an insert shot of a, a switch from Gemini 8. You could cheat a Gemini 8 switch for an Apollo 11 switch and vice versa, or take a a fuel gauge from the X-15 and, you know, put it in the Gemini 8 capsule. But, you know, in a movie like this, we knew that there would be people who would know the difference. And so we weren't able to do any of that. We really had to, you know, it it was a big task for my crew because they really had to get straight all these inserts, like... 
I mean, Damien shot this enormous amount of little details and rivets, you know, on the ceiling of the craft and little textures, you know, on the on the walls of these uh, of these space capsules, but also like gauges and meters and switches and. I mean, it's it was very overwhelming. Damien shot, you know, like 1.7 million feet of film more than he did on his other two movies and uh, in all these different formats. And my assistant somehow had to keep it all straight, you know, um, because we'd be expected to, like, have the right gauge when they're, you know, looking at something during the Apollo 11 mission or the Gemini 8 mission. And so that was a new wrinkle for us. Now, another thing that made it so authentic is you actually used some footage from NASA that we was did. incorporated into the production. We did. There there was, you know, Damien always wanted everything to feel very much like the NASA archival footage that he and Josh Singer looked at extensively when they were creating the script. And I think that inspired the sort of gritty cinema verite approach that Damien wanted First Man to have. But yeah, there was archival footage that we started off with when Damien created these animatics for these big action scenes. You know, he, he, he would take these storyboards and put them together with certain NASA archival footage to envision these scenes. And that, those animatics would be kind of these starting points for me uh, for the editing. And then eventually I would replace all the stuff, all the animatic shots with the new footage coming in. And our visual effects supervisor, Paul, and um, his visual effects producer, Kevin Elam, would basically, per Damien, would recreate these archival shots, but recreate them, you know, using miniatures and shooting them on sometimes 16 millimeter or 35 millimeter, but just to, you know, just to replicate what had been done. And one of those shots that's a great replica is the the shot of one of the stage rings flying off at the very end of the Apollo 11 launch. That was um, a shot where they really tried to recreate a real, actual archival shot. So you'll have things like that. But then during the launch itself, there are actual archival shots, pieces used. And some of my favorite stuff is where Paul Lambert would take part of an archival shot and combine it with CG or miniature photography in order to create right. this seamless... To extend um, the shot. Yeah, extend the shot. And, and Paul Lambert and NASA found this 70-millimeter high-quality archival footage that I guess either hadn't been seen for years or had never been seen. It was in this proprietary military format, so no one had... NASA didn't have the equipment to play it. So they said to Paul, you know, if, if you guys find a way to scan it, and give us back a copy for our archives, you're welcome to use it. And so they found, Paul found a way to do it and they scanned it. And so when you see this wide shot of Apollo 11 taking off, the center of the frame is actually 70 millimeter archival footage of Apollo 14 taking off. And Paul Lambert and his VFX team built out the sides to fill the wide cinemascope frame. So you have a little bit of a little bit of both, which is fun. There's there's a great shot where Neil says goodbye to his boys and he gets into this limousine driveway and the, the scene culminates with Justin Hurwitz's dramatic, almost Vog, Wagner score. It culminates with this shot of the Apollo 11 rocket sitting um, on the launch pad at dawn. Well, that was part, I think I think the, the Saturn rocket and the gantry are, are archival footage 
and the rest of it is uh, miniatures, like the floodlights that are lighting it up. I think that's miniature. It's so seamless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's and that was really important to Damien, to have it be seamless. He really wanted it to all have this verite naturalism feel. Um, I think his nightmare would be having our recreations all of a sudden bump up against an archival shot, you know, where all of a sudden the audience could say, okay, that's the archival shot's real, but now the other stuff looks fake. So he really pushed Paul and everyone else to really have it feel as much as possible like the archival footage. Now, in the editing, you also wanted to create a documentary yes. feel. Yeah, and again, Damien, I think his first inspiration was this archival footage where he saw a lot of the 16-millimeter footage inside the space capsules, and he really loved the look of that because the footage, the archival footage looked really claustrophobic, but it also looked really personal. It felt personal and intimate because a lot of that footage was shot by astronauts themselves. And so a lot of that, you know, almost felt like these 60 millimeter diaries by the astronauts. And so that was something he really wanted to try to replicate or try to get the feel of in, in the movie. So he and Lena Sandgren, the cinematographer Lena Sandgren, they wanted this, you know, real cinema verite approach in the capsules but also they figured they would do it in the earthbound home scenes because they thought that would be Damien really wanted to have you feel like you're a fly on the wall in Neil Armstrong's home and you can see this in Damien Chazelle's first movie Guy and Madeline on a park bench that's Damien's first movie his black and white 16 millimeter cinema verite musical which is an incredible, incredible film. But Damien has this love of documentary and, and cinema verite. So, you know, he really encouraged all his department heads to watch movies by Frederick Weissman, like High School. And we watched Gimme Shelter by the Maisels. And in particular, these great Robert Drew documentaries, Primary and Crisis, which where documentary cameramen follow President Kennedy around the Oval Office, follow Bobby Kennedy, Attorney General. And in those documentaries, you know, those those cinema verite documentaries from the 60s and 70s, you really feel like you're a fly on the wall, you know, just observing. And that's what he wanted for all of the earthbound scenes. And in fact, he shot two weeks of rehearsal footage with his actors, with Ryan and Claire and the child actors who play their children. He and shot some of that you ended up using in the film. We used film. a lot of it, actually. Yeah. And uh we had a good idea that we'd use it. We just didn't know how or where. But when we got into the editing of the movie, at some point we felt the need to dive into that footage because we thought, okay, we're getting into this family stuff, this family storylines. Let's review this rehearsal footage. Damien did it to get all the actors kind of comfortable with, with each other, but they were in fully dressed sets by production designer Nathan Crowley, and they were in full makeup and hair. And so they were usable, and so we dove into those, and we started putting together, and this stuff was completely improvised and, and unscripted, so it really was kind of like a documentary camera following them around their home. So we really started looking at this stuff and cobbling together all, these, all of our favorite little bits and pieces, and some of those scenes that we cobbled together started to replace the scripted scenes in the movie, which was really inspiring and a lot of fun for us. So in Gemini 8, for example, there's a scene of when we intercut 
what's going on with the Gemini 8 capsule and mission control and then Janet at home listening on the squawk box, there's a scene where she is, uh, you know, sitting on the bed consoling Rick, who's upset about something. And and then later um, we see Rick sort of whip Janet with this towel and then she gets mad at him and sort of chases him down the hall. All of that is completely improvised material that we put together and we replaced scripted stuff that was there before. That stuff was very fun for us to do, but also also had its challenges just going through all that sort of documentary unscripted material. It allowed for certain camera imperfections, rack focus, and messy camera moves and pans. Our Cinema Verite style kind of allowed for that, so it meant that we could find great performance bits and that we could use them. If the camera caught a great look of of Kyle Chandler in Mission Control, we could use that. If we had a great performance bit of Shea Wiggum yelling in Mission Control or something like that, tell the Soviets to, to go screw or something like that, we could use it because our style allowed for a certain kind of messiness, you know. On La La Land, if there was some messiness, then that would usually mean we wouldn't be able to use it. Sure. So Right. Completely um, different style. Completely different style. Very controlled and very clean. Same with Whiplash. Even though it's, Whiplash is a little uh, a scrappier movie, it's still very Damien wanted a very clean style. He wanted the cuts to be clean. With First Man, not only did it allow us this great performance stuff, but we found that we could actually use some of these camera imperfections to enhance things dramatically. Like I'm thinking of the... Uh, press conference scenes and the mission control scenes that follow the Gemini 8 spin, that's a section where Damien wanted it to feel like an attack on Neil Armstrong, you know, and he's sort of inundated and overwhelmed by all these reporters' questions and, and they're, they're yelling to grab his attention. Well, we found that, that that Verite approach could kind of support that visually, you know, we could actually lean into these weird messy camera moves and these jarring cuts and things like that. And then when Neil opens the hatch and you go onto the moon, completely different feel from the sound to the picture to the editing. Tell us about that That was scene. That was right. That was really fun to do. And I had never cut anything in IMAX before. And Damien shot in real 70 millimeter IMAX. What was really great about that was that um, the resolution of IMAX, the definition there's no grain, and you can see every little detail, every thread on the gloves, every little grain of, of soil. It kind of makes you cut differently. You know, it made us cut differently. It made us want to linger on those shots so you could really study and you could get inside the photography. You could get inside those shots. It just meant that the pace slowed down and became very different in feel than what had come before. Before we really leaned into the cuttiness and the messiness, there was something very jagged about how we cut it before. I always, you know, mentioned how Damien really wanted the these cuts instead of La La Land and Whiplash. He wanted these cuts to feel like they were made with a rusty razor blade, you know. But once we got to the moon and once the camera shoots out of that hatch, Damien's kind of Wizard of Oz uh, nod, you know, instead of going from black and white to Technicolor, you know, the camera goes out and we go from 16 millimeter to IMAX, you know, everything slowed down. And I mean, this is why Damien is such an exciting director for me to work with, because he thinks these things through. And that's kind of what part of his intention was. He wanted 
the moon to feel like another world. He really wanted it to feel completely different from what had come before. I think doing IMAX and 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 knowing how that would affect the cutting pattern, I think that was his way of pulling the rug out from under the audience to really make that hatch moment a show-stopping moment. And he did that by pulling out the sound, too. Um, that's something that that was very interesting, doing some of the sound things on the moon, taking the sound out completely where there's literally nothing on the soundtrack. I don't think I've ever worked on a movie where there's nothing. Usually there's a little room tone or something, but there's nothing. The Eagle has landed. Roger, Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. What I find is that sometimes in the theater, people can't take it. They panic. You know, in the audience, you know, they panic. We had a preview screening, and when that moment happened, this woman freaked out and didn't know what was happening, and she started yelling back to, like, the sound, where's the sound, whatever. And another person in the audience yelled back at her and and said something to the extent of, there's no sound in space. You know, which we thought was hilarious, but that that was something I recognize is that people aren't used to there being no sound at all, you know, on the soundtrack. It's definitely an unusual choice. Yeah. What's exciting about it is that Damien just goes for those things, you know, even even though they're maybe a little risky or you might send some people out to the theater lobby to complain about the sound going out or something. But Damien just, he just goes for those moments. Now, this is your third film with Damien. Yeah. The first one was Whiplash, for which you won an Academy Award. How did the two of you meet, and what do you think it is that makes your collaboration so successful? So we were connected by a producer friend, uh, Cooper Samuelson, who was producing. He was one of the producers um, with Helen Esterbrook on Whiplash. And Cooper, you know, Cooper called me up and, and said, hey, we're trying to get this feature off the ground. For the feature, we have no money. But he said, we're trying to get this feature off the ground by making a little short film first to kind of get the financing. We don't have a lot of money to pay for this short, but would you be interested in doing it? And I said, send me the script. And it was like one of the best scripts I've ever read. I mean, it was, it was, I could feel like the subjectivity in the writing. I just felt the anxiety and the nervousness and the panic in the script. And so I said, I, I love the script. I'd love to meet the, the writer. And so Damien and I met for lunch, and we found that we just hit it off. We loved a lot of the same movies, and so we worked together on the short, and we had a blast. It was a lot of fun to work on, and uh, we worked through some of the stylistic stuff that would end up being in the feature. And, you know, I think part of why we get along is we both have this love of movies, and we're always speaking in terms of movies. You know, every every film I do with Damien, he always creates a list of reference movies. And the point is never to replicate what's in those reference films. It's always just to get inspired. And so on Whiplash, you know, our big reference was the movie Raging Bull. You know, um, Damien wanted the box, you know, wanted the rehearsal scenes to feel like the boxing scenes. On La La Land, I mean, we referenced tons of MGM musicals, you know, Singing in the Rain and It's Always Fair Weather. But we also referenced movies like Boogie Nights, you know, for, for a certain Hollywood scene and a Hollywood feel. In the case of First Man, besides the, the Frederick Weissman documentaries, 
you know, Damien also referenced Saving Private Ryan. He wanted the space capsule scenes to feel immersive and visceral the same way that the battle scenes feel like in Saving Private Ryan. And so, you know, it's very easy for him to mention these things. And then all of a sudden we have this shorthand. So, I mean, I, I guess the other thing is somehow personality-wise we get along. I mean, we we spend a lot of time laughing about things in the editing room. And I think with the hours we work, I mean, it really becomes almost like a marriage. I mean, I I, I see Damien more than I see my wife when I'm working on one of his movies. Um, on First Man, we worked anywhere from 12 to 20 hours a day, six days a week, um, sometimes seven days a week, because we had such an ambitious schedule. So there's something there. I don't know what it is, but definitely at this point, we have like a trust. Uh, again, you know, I think a lot of what makes a good editor is, uh, I think half of it is really the bedside manner. You have to be a good storyteller, but I think a big part of it is also the bedside manner because you, the personalities have to be matched because you spend so many hours with this, with filmmakers, with this director, that if you didn't get along, then that would be a marriage that wouldn't last. I find it funny that I think a lot of people think of editors as these technicians who work alone in these dark rooms, you know. There's always jokes at the Academy Awards about, okay, now it's time for the editors to go back to their dark rooms and stuff like that. And that is part of it, but the other part of it is very different. I mean, we spend all this time with the directors. You know, we're not alone. We're we're spending how many hours a day, 12 hours a day, 20 hours a day with with the filmmaker. And so that's the biggest part that I take away from my work. I love just collaborating with people and I think that's why I like doing it. You know, I love collaborating with with Damien. He's he's just amazing through and through. Editing is often referred to as the final rewrite. Well, that that is I think that's very true. <laughs> I think that's I you know, I, I don't know who said that originally, but I don't think uh anything has changed since that person said it how many years ago. Certainly on this movie, on First Man, we did more, and Damien knew we would do it. We we did more rewriting than we did on La La Land and Whiplash. Damien knew that we'd have to cover certain beats, story beats um, and emotional beats, such as walking on the moon and the death of his best friend, Ed White. We knew we'd cover a lot of these things, but because he was shooting it in the cinema verite fashion, Damien just tried to gather as much kind of material as possible, uh, just little family moments, little moments with the kids, you know, uh, moments by the pool. He knew that there would be, that that earthbound stuff in particular would have a certain amount of elasticity. And so he and Linus uh, and Linus's crew would just shoot and shoot and shoot. So we'd have all this footage of the kids running around the neighborhood getting ice cream and, you know, playing, you know, playing touch football and all this amazing stuff of uh, the kids jumping in the pool in this completely recreated Armstrong home. I guess Nathan Nathan Crowley had completely recreated, built the Armstrong home from nothing. I think it was a vacant lot. They built this mid-century modern home and even put in an in-ground pool that wasn't there. Also, they could just burn it down in a sequence that got cut from the movie. Right. There was... There was a house fire. Right. That was um, a scene that you had shot. That's a scene that we shot and we cut, an amazing scene, and it was beautifully done. And they burn the and they burn the Nathan Crowley house down to the ground, but we cut it out primarily because Damien always envisioned 
the crux of First Man was going to be the balance between what he called the moon and the kitchen sink. And by that, he meant it would be a balance between these dangerous, life-threatening space mission scenes and then the more mundane, ordinary, earthbound stuff. And he figured if we got that balance right, then, then we'd really be telling an interesting story. You know, the earthbound stuff, again, was very ordinary and mundane and you know, Janet teaching Rick how to play the piano. And that was part of the point. So when we had this house fire, all of a sudden we had this earthbound scene, which felt very, which was literally life-threatening. And something about that, even though it really happened, and it was a, it was a big traumatic event in the Armstrong's life, it really felt all of a sudden like a Hollywood movie. You know, it felt like a scene from a Hollywood movie because all of a sudden the stakes were extremely high and it was life and death, which is not how we wanted to play the family domestic earthbound scenes. Um, We wanted to save that life and death for the missions. And so we ended up losing it. And that meant that we had to find some, you know, find some interesting transitions. And we ended up doing something, playing off with um, the feet you know, because the the dancing feat with um, when Neil and Janet, they put a record on and they start slow dancing. We were able to do this cut to Elliot C.'s wife dancing with one of the kids. And uh, we, cut to, we cut to the kid's feet on top of uh, Elliot C.'s wife's, Marilyn C.'s uh, feet. And so we were able to do this transition from, from one to the other. But in between there, there used to be a lot of other scenes. So we, we kind of had to be ready for anything in a way, and in, in, in for First Man more so than in the other projects. Tom, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you found the editing business. Well, I was born in Milwaukee. But at a young age, I moved to upstate New York. I moved to Rochester, New York. That's primarily where I grew up. And then I ended up going to film school at SUNY Purchase, just outside of New York. And after, after graduating, I moved, I moved into Brooklyn. And, you know, I found work in the commercial business. I was an assistant editor at a commercial editing company. But I always longed to work on feature films. So my commercial experience was great in that it allowed me to get into the feature business. What happened is I had heard from a friend of a friend that there was this film editor who was in between movies and he was looking for an experienced commercial assistant editor. And my name came up and I ended up helping out this editor. And the editor turned out to be Tim Squires, who is uh, edits all of Ang Lee's, Ang Lee's films. Movies. And so... I happened to catch him in between movies, and we really hit it off. And, of course, I was already a huge fan of Tim Squires' work, all of Ang's movies and other movies. And he took me along with him to his next movie he did. It was a little—happened to be a little indie movie uh, directed by Paul Oster called Lulu on the Bridge. But, you know, he hired me, and I that was my first union job as an assistant editor in New York. And my career was kind of off to the races. But in New York, you know, there are only a limited amount of features that are done. And so as a New York person, you end up working in different genres just to pay the bills. And so in New York, I worked in reality TV. I worked in TV promos. I edited fashion videos. I edited industrials. You end up doing a lot. And it's not really what I would have chosen to do, but I'm really happy I had all that experience because I like to think that all of that stuff that I did informs 
the work that I do now. Um, and certainly the documentary editing that I did in New York, which, which I loved, that came into play when I worked on First Man because First Man had a ton of improvised material, a material where it was really shot in a documentary fashion, you know. I mean, Linus Sandgren, the cinematographer, looked at an early rough cut of the movie and he commented to me about how we ended up using a lot of these little camera moments, imperfections that he didn't expect. He was talking about the rack focuses or or anytime there was a weird snap zoom. And he didn't expect it because I think Linus and his crew were just all those little camera imperfections were just a means to an end. In other words, he was not trying to merely replicate cinema verite and all of its uh, you know, hallmarks and warts. He really was just trying to cover and follow the actors, the characters, as if they were uh, subjects in a documentary. It's just that when Damien and I saw this stuff, we knew that our, our verite style could allow for um, certain things. And so... And in some cases, we knew that actually it would help create energy and and it would be more dynamic if we use some of these little moments. Uh, so I, I, you know, I think that if I hadn't had that documentary experience early on, I think I would have found the task of editing First Man much more daunting. And now the American Cinema Editor's Eddie Awards is coming up. Who are you looking forward to meeting? I am really looking forward to meeting Craig McKay. Who's receiving a Career Achievement Award that night. Yes, a much-deserved Career Achievement. I mean, I've never met Craig. We're Facebook friends, and we, you know, send messages back and forth. And, you know, he's he's been very sweet and supportive of my work. If he's seen one of my movies, he'll, he'll send a nice message. And that always gives me an excuse to sort of send something gushing back, you know. Uh, <laughs> just rewatched your masterpiece, Silence of the Lambs, for the 10th time. Uh, I love the uh, FBI raid scene, you know, which is, uh, as an editor, I mean, I can totally geek out on things like that. His, his brilliant FBI, his parallel editing, which uh, his parallel editing misdirect. That you could do a whole podcast on that scene, you know, in itself. And so I'm I'm really excited to go see him, to meet him uh, in person. And, uh, you know, Richie Marks just passed away. There are not a lot of New York-based editors or those editors from, from that New York scene that are left. You know, the, a lot of those editors, Jerry Greenberg and Dee Dee Allen and right. Richie and certainly Allen, you know, thank goodness Allen Heim is, is still amazing and, and, you know, still leading the charge. But, you know, I completely idolize all those editors. You know, those are editors who I really um, wanted to meet. And, you know, at the time I wanted to work for, I wanted to learn from the masters. That was one of my goals when I was an assistant editor. And, you know, I ended up kind of finding my own masters and people like Tim Squires and who I learned from. But I was so inspired by the work of, of a lot of those editors who originally came from New York, like Richie Marks, like Craig McKay. And so anytime I get to meet one of them or spend time with them, I can just, you know, sit there and gaze at them lovingly. And I enjoy doing that. So I can't wait for the Eddies to see a lot of old friends, but also to meet, yeah, meet Craig McKay. Well, thank you. I will see you there. I love it. <laughs> thank can't you wait. for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Hey, 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.